0: Verses 38 to 42 and 46 to 50. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked, wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South would rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, City. If you can keep your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you can take out your phone um, to take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 12 um, as we will go through it, uh, verses 38 um, till the end. But let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and that you've created the world um, through your uh, uh, word, and we thank you that uh, through, by your word, we have been called, and we thank you that we are uh, built up by your word. Uh, but Lord, it needs to be your word spoken to us, and so Lord, we pray now um, we look to you that you would come and you would speak um, to our minds and to our hearts. Shape us and turn our hearts um, to, uh, to you, um, to firm faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are maybe just a couple of times in my life where I can say actually God answered my prayers in, in a way that's just undeniable. Maybe just a couple of times, and one of the one of those times was actually when I was in college. My I think I was a jun- I think I was junior. Um, my sister and I were going through this time um, of applying for American citizenship. We made the application, we did the interview, we did the test, and it was all fine. All that was set to do um, now was the swearing-in ceremony. Uh, It was scheduled sometime, I think, in April or something like that, but all of a sudden, we got this notification that actually, that was delayed by a couple of months. Now, this, looking back, I think, well, what was the problem? I mean, you just delay it, right? But back then, you know, I was immature and whatever, I don't know. Um, But I was like, maybe maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, why do I need an American citizenship anyway? Right? I have a, a green card, I have the residency, I can live there whenever I wanted to, however long I wanted to. Um, why do I need the uh, citizenship? But as I often do, I did pray. I did pray about it. I remember I prayed in the kitchen on the ground floor. So, you know, God, please help me to uh, make the decision, decision. If there is anything that you can show me what your will is, um, please do. And then I went downstairs to the basement. And as I often do, I turned on the TV, and I was just flicking through the channels. And as I was flicking through the channels, in that moment, I saw something that really caught my eyes. It was a show called Wheel of Fortune. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it kind of looks like this. And on that day, at that moment, after I prayed, as I was flicking through the channel, the answer for the Wheel of Fortune, the clue was swearing-in ceremony. Bing, 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 (laughs) bing. And I just thought, wow. The first thing that I felt was this sort of bolt of electricity. You know, I I just prayed. I asked for God's will. And God said, it seemed to me, swearing in ceremony. I mean, how much more clear? How much clearer can God make it? But then the second thought came to my mind. I thought, oh, what a coincidence. What are the chances this this happens? But then, you know, in a way, I kind of uh, folded it away, and I just took it as coincidence. Now, I ended up going to the swearing ceremony, becoming an American citizen, delaying my internship for a month. Um, Actually, I had an internship lined up. That's why this was such a big deal for me. But, you know, I just delayed it for a month, and it was no problem whatsoever. And I couldn't have foreseen how international my life was going to be from that moment. I lived two years in Honduras, four years in, um, in, in England, and now nine years in Hong Kong. And who knows where I'll be in the future. And American citizenship actually has been really useful in many, many ways. But the point is, even when God gave a very clear sign, I doubted why do I do that? Why do we do that? When I read the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in verse 38, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I can somewhat relate. You know, this question, in some ways, it's a fair enough question. If they didn't see all the things that they had seen, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, actually, they had seen all these different miracles in Galilee, had they not? I mean, if you've been following us in this series, they have seen all these diff- different miracles. Last week, we talked about one how actually God, Jesus, drove out the demon and healed this mute and blind man by driving out the demons. But instead of praising God, instead of saying, Yes, that's the sign that we needed, they say, He's possessed by the devil, by his power, by the power of Beelzebub. He's doing this. He's driving out the demons. See, they're not looking for a sign. They're looking for an excuse not to believe. They ask for one more sign because they don't want to believe in Jesus, and they're trying to find a way not to believe. And Jesus answers in verse 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Most of you know the story of Jonah, right? He ran away from God and he spent these three days in the belly of a huge fish. It was his death and resurrection story, right? He dies. He goes to the depth of the sea, the lowest point. And then after three days, this fish spits him out. And Jesus says, that sign, sign of Jonah will be given to you, clearly alluding to his death how he will go to the depth. He will die. He will go to the Hades and rise again in resurrection. That is the sign that Jesus will give him. And I hope, by the way, you don't get bogged down in verse 40, the details of three days and three nights. Jesus dies on Friday, and he rises again on Sunday morning, and so it's actually two nights and three days, but many commentators say three days and three nights. It's a shorthand for saying no longer than three days. Matthew and Luke also know when Jesus dies and when Jesus rises again, but they don't think this is a problem um, to explain. And this ultimate sign will be given. And Jesus is saying, this will test the condition of your heart. Because it's one thing to do miracles. It's one thing to heal people. It's one thing to actually raise people, even from the dead. What well, Jesus is saying, I will die. And not just a death you can sort of fake. Jesus will die publicly on a crucifix. He will die on a crucifix. He will die and, and, and he will be buried. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, look, you ask for a sign. I'm not going to give any more of you, but I will give you one that will test your heart. I will die and rise again. If you don't believe in this, if you don't believe in this evidence, in this sign, well, you'll know why you'll know that it's not the lack of evidence. It's something else in you. I don't know what you do when you start doubting. I'm sure you have moments, I have moments, I have days when I think about, is this all true? Um, And when I do, I don't look back often to my experiences because experiences are subjective. They can be interpreted, right? I mean, this Wheel of Fortune moment, it was a clear experience, and there was something that was God about it, but at the same time, I can reason it away in my low moments of doubt. I can say, well, coincidence that happened. How about all those other times when I asked God for sign, and He didn't give it to me, Right? Or I've had moments when I felt overwhelmed by the love of God and there were real experiences. I mean, surely they were the work of the Holy Spirit at the time, I thought I was. But in my moments of doubt, I don't think that way. Well, I think maybe I was depressed. <laughs> maybe I didn't have enough sleep. Maybe I was, just felt really emotional at that moment right? This is the thing about subjective experiences. It can be explained away, but there's something that is great about this sign of Jesus's death and resurrection because it's historical. There's something objective that you can test. So in my mind, I do go back to the resurrection to assure myself that this is true, that Jesus really died. Historians don't doubt this, right? Uh, the, 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 the tomb is empty. He was buried, but the tomb is empty. Nobody was able to produce Jesus's body. Nobody goes, no, he lies dead there, dead there. And people say, well, maybe somebody stole, the disciples stole the body. Well, why? Why would they steal the body? And not only why, but they proclaim after they do this, right? That after, uh, um, uh, something happened, and they go around saying that they saw the risen Lord, that Jesus is alive and many of them die uh, for their faith. Many of them are martyred for their faith and all of them uh, face persecution and danger because of it. Why would they lie like that if it really was a lie? Now this is, uh, in Josh McDowell's words, the evidence that demands a verdict. Jesus didn't uh, just appear to a few people. Uh, More than 10 occasions he appeared. At one point, more than 500 people. One or two people can hallucinate, maybe, but not 500 people together? That doesn't make sense. We need to explain what happened between his death and the existence of the church and what happened to the disciples. There's something objective about that. So I wonder if I could ask you this question. Why do you ask for more signs? Christians and non-Christians, right? Many of you ask more for, for more signs from God. I'm sure you've done this. Why do you do it? Is the wonder of the creation not enough? Is the moral law that's written in your heart not enough? Is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, all the experiences that you've had not enough? Is the, the living Word of God that has spoken to you, I'm sure many times throughout your life, is that not enough? Is Jesus' death and resurrection, is that not enough? Surely, church, that is enough. It is enough. You can be confident that Jesus died and rose again. And if you'd like um, to more, if you want to explore, please do explore. There are many books. Uh, and I've, I've put uh, a couple of Right Now Media books. Um, video programs as well, you have free access to it, do go and uh, and examine. It will put you on trial, right? Because there is this incontrovertible evidence that demands a verdict from you, your response. And if we refuse to believe when God makes it as clear as possible through Jesus, actually, we will be accused of unbelief by the unlikeliest people. So once again, take a look. Um, at chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus says, The men of Nineveh will stand up to accuse us of unbelief. Why the men of Nineveh? Well, uh, Jonah took a detour through the belly of a uh, fish and, and all, but he in, ended up, uh, he, he did end up going to uh, Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. I don't know if you know his, much about history, much of history there, uh, but Assyrians were wicked people. <laughs> they, they were known for their wickedness, and not only that, this was their capital, and not only that. Uh, um, uh, this is the country that eventually uh, uh, takes over uh, uh, um, conquers Israel. This was a sworn enemy of the Israelites. That's why Jonah didn't want to go there. But he does end up there reluctantly, but he does go and end up preaching to the people of Nineveh. This is Jonah chapter 3. He's the most reluctant preacher. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days. in 40 more days Nineveh will be thrown uh, overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Right before this verse, it it tells you that actually Nineveh takes three days to go across. He goes one day, he preaches this reluctant um, sermon. In 40 days, God is going to come and he will reject you. You will be judged. And there's no miracles, no signs. But at the preaching of this grouchy old man, people repent. Greatest and the least, everybody puts on the sackcloth and they repent. You get the point, right? They didn't need all these other things. All they needed was God's word preached to them, and they obeyed. They repented. Those people, the men of Nineveh, will stand up and accuse you, Jesus says, of your unbelief at the face of all that you've seen. After all, someone much greater than Jonah is here. And not only that, the second witness who will accuse them? Will be called. Uh, will be the, the Queen of Sheba. Uh, verse forty two. Queen of South. Queen of the South. This is a story recalled in First King, uh, First King chapter ten, uh, when, when the Queen of Sheba, probably Ethiopia, heard about Solomon, uh, and she takes the time out in her busy schedule to come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Um, Addis Ababa. Uh, the, the, to Jerusalem, I'm told, uh, is about 1,600 miles. That's farther than from Hong Kong to um, sorry. I mean, could you imagine taking that journey in days without roads, without cars, without airplanes, with all the dangers um, of the road, uh, of, of traveling, but she goes. You know why she goes? Because she heard that there might be a living God and a king uh, that points to this living God. She goes because she wants to investigate. She makes all that effort and goes. And she hears Solomon speak. And she's amazed. And she's converted. She praises Yahweh God in 1 Kings 10.9. Blessed be Yahweh your God. Jesus says she will stand and, and accuse you of your uh, faithfulness, I mean, uh, faithlessness, of your unbelief, after all. Someone who's far greater than Solomon is there, is there with them, Jesus. Jesus isn't just greater than Solomon or Jonah, right? uh, Verse 4 in chapter 12 said that he was greater than David. Uh, uh, Verse 6, he's greater than the temple itself, all the things that the Old Testament stood for, right? This temple, God's presence. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is greater than the temple. And they saw all that Jesus did, and they didn't believe. Well, they don't believe. Well, why don't they not believe? Well, it's not the evidence. Jesus says, it's because of their hearts. Verse 39, because their hearts are wicked and adulterous. Adulterous here in the context is idolatrous. They desire other things other than God. They desire uh, fame or money or their own lifestyle, control or whatever it is. They desire these other things more than Jesus. That's why they don't believe. In Jesus. It's the problem of our heart. I mean, if we examine your heart, isn't that true of all of us? I'm sure you've asked for signs. God, give us one more sign. Give me one more sign. Why do we do that? Well, Jesus says it's because our, heart, it's because our hearts are prone to wander. Because we love other things more than Jesus. It, it, our hearts are so wicked that even when God gives us more signs, we won't believe. We're often looking for excuses also to get out of the things that we know that we're supposed to do. Isn't that why we ask for signs? Because the word is clear, God's will is clear, but actually we really don't want to do it. I really want to marry this person, or I really want to, I don't know. It's, uh, we, we, diso- we, we ask for signs because we want to disobey, often. And we ask for signs because we don't trust in the goodness of God's word that God is working through all of these things. We don't trust in the, the, the power of the living word, God's word. And that's what happens to us, and it's the same many times for those who don't yet believe in Jesus. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, could I ask that you examine your heart to see? It might not be the evidence that's the problem. It might be your heart that rejects Jesus. I'm not saying, of course, just believe. Just believe. That's not what I'm saying. Seek, ask, right, knock, and God promises to answer you. And the point is, if and when God answers you, God moves your heart. God moves these circumstances. God brings these people into your life. God changes these little things. Don't just say, oh, what a coincidence. Don't just ignore them and say, well, that, 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 that was just uh, um, by accident. It's God working in you. Because, friends, it might not be the evidence. It might be your heart. And I hate to say this, if we don't respond to the Holy Spirit, if we don't respond to the works of God in our life, well, Jesus says, the Queen of Sheba, uh, the people of Nineveh, the countless people who believed in Jesus with far less access to Jesus, far less access to the Bible, far less access to the church and the goodness of all the, the things that the Spirit is doing, well, they will stand up and accuse you and say, you had enough. When the verdict comes, it will determine our eternity and our proximity to Jesus will not help us. Take a look at verse 46. If you look down, Jesus' um, mother and brothers are described as standing outside. And that detail is not coincidental. Uh, Matthew is recording this carefully. They're outside, spatially. Uh, John tells us in John chapter 7, uh, verse 5, it's because Jesus' family didn't believe in Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 22, the family of Jesus call him crazy. He's out of his mind, they say. That's why they're standing outside. Although they are related to Jesus, they're outside of his family. And when when told that they're waiting outside, Jesus turns and says, Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who, who, Who is my mother? He then pointed to the disciples and said, This, here are my mother and brothers, for for whoever does the will of God will of God my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. I know it sounds harsh. And knowing Jesus, I'm sure he said this with deep pain in his heart, to know that his own family is outside of his eternal family. I'm sure of that. But you see, the point is it's, po- it's, it's, it's possible to be religious. It's possible to have r- the right pedigree. It's possible to have parents who are pastors and missionaries. It's possible to go to a, a Christian school all your life. It's possible to come to church all your life. And you can, st- you can even be related to Jesus by blood, but still be outside of God's family. On the day of judgment, God will not say, oh, all the Hans come here, all the Van de Castils go over there, all the uh, uh, Chans go over there. That's not how it will be. What will separate us, what, how the, 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 draw, the line that will be drawn is, do you trust in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Not the kind of faith that just moves our lips only, but do you trust in Jesus in a way that will move your uh, will, Uh, so that you would do uh, uh, God's will in your life. That's what will matter. Are you confident of where you will stand and on what basis? You might be left standing outside or you might be called a brother or sister. Take a look. But take a look at how verse 50 starts again. Whoever... Right? Whoever does the will of God. That's an amazing, amazing news. Who did Jesus call his brother, sister, mother? Tax collectors, fishermen, uh, political zealots, nobodies, people who were inconsequential in the eyes of the world. Jesus calls them his brother, his sister. In Family Focus um, this morning at 9.30, we heard another passage where Jesus goes and invites. He has this party, and and nobody responds, and so he says, go out and get just anybody. All the crippled, the the blind, the undeserving, the lame, they're invited to be God's family. Uh, I lived in England uh, for four years. I loved many things about England, um, but one of the things I really hated about it is it seemed that so, everybody was so class conscious, upper class, middle class, lower class, you know, that they're always very class conscious. Maybe they, they listen for accents and things like that to, to determine which class people belong to. Actually, it's there in the church as well. For example, I mean, in order to be a vicar of some prominent church in England, you sort of have to come from the right pedigree. That's just how it is. Well, it's not just England that has this problem, though. Everywhere sinful human beings go, we make these divisions. We make uh, these distinctions by race, education level, job, income level, appearance. Oh, Jesus does not. Whoever, whoever does the will of my Father, he will call brother and sister and mother. And whatever Jesus' class is, that's who we are. Give us another sign, they uh, they said. Well, we're not that far away from that either, are we? We often put God in the dock and we put him on trial. God, prove yourself to me, the judge. And God says, I've given you enough. You have your experiences. You have the church and the work of the Holy Spirit around you. You have the living, uh, the Word of God. You have Jesus' death and resurrection. You have enough. And at some point, God will not stand in that witness stand. God will take His rightful place as the judge, and He will judge us. And some of us will be left standing outside Condemned. And I hope all of us, everyone here at Shatin Church, Jesus will say, Brother, sister, welcome. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are prone to, wa- prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to disbelief and unbelief. Our hearts are prone to rebel against you. And so, Lord, we pray now to all of us, those who are seeking, those who know you. Lord, we pray for all of us. Your Spirit will speak to us and move our hearts to follow you, to know you, to love you. Lord, would you give us confidence? in the evidence, in the gospel, in what you have done. And help us to live as people who are changed by that. And for those of us who are still seeking, Lord, we pray that your Spirit will, would work powerfully in their hearts, that they too might respond and call you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.